Our scripture reading for today comes from Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The Oracle of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. This is God's word. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning. It's great to see you all here and, and be together to worship and to get into um, this new series in Malachi this morning. Um, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I want to inter- introduce myself. Uh, my name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and I typically do the bulk of the preaching. And I also want to give you a, a heads up that I have a stutter, and it, uh, it'll kind of come in and out as I go. And so I want to make sure that you know what that is. Um, if you've come more than a couple times the last few weeks, insert joke now about the cold and how that affects my speech. But, you know, I don't need to, need to do that all again. But um, honestly, though, I, I do want to pause and acknowledge it was warmer this morning and uh, it's been cooling off and we're trying to figure out what that is. But I, 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 I want to take this time to acknowledge we talk about um, you know, there's nothing to prove and nobody to impress and taking God seriously and not ourselves. And with that, I, I am, sometimes we take a chance so to just acknowledge different people. And one of them who um, does a lot but doesn't often get acknowledged is Stephen Collins, um, one of our p- pastors here. And let's thank him. And you don't even know why you're thanking him yet. And I'll tell you why. Um, so Stephen has the a very fun job, which he very graciously took over for me, of contacting the school and the school di- district and getting hung up on or different dynamics that'll go on there. And it's been a, a growing and, and joy-filled partnership, but sometimes frustrating and struggling, um, like things like this. And so we're working with the school to figure out, and obviously more important than us in here for a couple hours are the kids and the teachers that are in here all throughout the day, all day, every day. And so um, with that, just wanted to kind of acknowledge and not pretend like, I got short sleeves on, let's pretend it's not cold right now. Um, just pretend I'm tough. No. Um, but anyway, so again, thank you, Stephen, for doing all that. He's been on the phone with them this morning, and, and just so you know, and uh, we're um, working on it. All right? Cool? All right. No cold. All right. So um, uh, now we get to get into our time and again, a new series in Malachi. So um, I'm excited for this time. I trust that God really has a lot to teach us through this, this time. So if you have a scripture, a, a copy of God's word with you, go ahead and turn with me there. It's the last um, book of the Old Testament. And, um, and so if you don't have a copy of God's word, would you hold your hand up and keep it up and we will get you a copy of God's word. Uh, y en español, buenos días. Y uh, esta mañana eh, estamos en el libro de Malaquías. Y si quiere una Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga uh, español. Y, y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. 
de nosotros. So, um, again, this is our gift to you, okay? I want to make sure that we all have a copy of God's Word to follow along with. And um, over the last... Um, a couple of years, we went, we've gone through different book series. That's what we do. We tend to walk through different books of the Bible. And um, this morning, and as we enter this next um, six weeks in the book of Malachi, um, I, I expect that God will shape us and will work through us um, and work in us. And, and the, this seemingly obscure book of the Bible, most of us who do know it, know it as, again, kind of God's like the end of, or the beginning of God's pregnant cause, right, before he gets into Matthew. Um, there's a year of, there's a, a span of 400 years of silence uh, between the end of the Old Testament and when God spoke to his people through what are called the minor prophets. And I'll get into some of this more. Um, and this is one of those, okay, Malachi, minor prophet. So I like the minor prophets because I think that means they were short. No, that's not what they mean. Um, minor prophets is, it also doesn't mean they're not as important. All right, Minor Prophets means that the books, though, that the things that they wrote are shorter, not in height, but in, um, in le length in terms of span and how much they cover. But hear me, it's no less impactful. Okay, so as we get into our time right here out of the gates, here's what we need to know is that the people of God, Israel, at this time didn't live like God's people. And it's largely because they don't know God. They don't fully understand him, and therefore they're not shaped in their lives. They don't live as though they belong to him. Okay, so again, in this time right now, I want to submit to us, again, as we dive in and kind of out of the gates, just say, I think the same is true for us, that we tend to struggle to really live as God's people because we don't really understand and know God. So with that heart posture, let's come before him in prayer and ask and trust that he will shape us together through our time this morning and throughout this series. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We acknowledge that though the grass withers and the flower fades, your word, the word of our God, endures forever. So Lord, I pray that through this series, you will speak to us. Lord, I pray you will shape us. Um, Lord, I pray that we will come before you right now even, and we'll, um, Lord, we'll see you more clearly, and as a result, we'll live more correctly, more rightly, not as a result of our own striving and efforts, but because you have not just informed our minds, but transformed our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So kicking off right here, Malachi chapter 1. As I often say, I just want to say now, if you, um, if you still haven't found it yet, because we're in a new book or whatever, um, it's always okay to go to the table of contents. Okay, I always want to say that because I still sometimes do it, all right, confession. And so by all means, go there. Um, I also, though, did look ahead this morning, so I have my little bookmark. But again, go there, Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So out of the gates, I want to, so this is kind of the beginning. I'm going to set up our whole series here, but also start out with this part here. And it begins, right, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Well, what does oracle mean, right? That's a word we don't use a ton. We have a street, right, oracle, maybe we think it's that. Um, what, what does this mean? Well, a, 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 a a more helpful translation is a burdensome message. Okay, a weighty message, a burden. 
All right, and this is what we're going to be walking through through the whole book is that God reveals himself by choosing to love his people. And again, a big idea that you can be thinking of is that there's a burdensome message from the Lord that he wants to give his people, to call his people. And so when you think of this word burden, there's kind of two, two parts, all right, that I want us to understand. One is something you can't just skirt around. All right, a burden, something that's in your way that you have to deal with, you have to account for. So think of it like this, right? We have monsoon rains right here in Tucson, and some of you that maybe haven't been here for these rains, or, or, or I've heard some people that come and they're like, it's 115 degrees right now, this earth is, earth is scorched, clearly never rains here, right? Well, those of us who know... No, it does. When it rains, it pours. And it, it's, you've got to deal with it. And like, for instance, if you're driving into downtown from Stone, right, and you're going under the train tracks and things like that, and there's all these signs, do not enter when flooded. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if anyone ever has done that. But some of you know, again, this is kind of Tucson local stuff. Um, there's a law called the stupid motorist law. And it means if you go in there, and you pass through all the warnings and you think you can just skirt on by and not deal with what's in front of you, you have to pay for all that it takes to get you out of that. All right, so there you go. You've been warned. But again, think of that. It's like you have to deal with it. And that's what is in mind here on one part where this is a burdensome message. You've got to deal with it. We can't just skirt around it or kind of zone out. We've got to deal with what God is saying here to his people. And second... It's a burden specifically to Malachi, which his name, by the way, means messenger. So he's a messenger of God with a burdensome message. And it's a burden for him as well to communicate it because he knows that not everyone's going to deal with it as they should. That what God intends and gives to be words of life, words that are shaping and transforming, many will reject Many will, will turn into indictment and, and, and will turn into, into shame and will turn their backs on God and will try to dismiss it because they don't trust him or because of, 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 of hardened hearts. And so as we get into this again this morning, let me say, um, to some degree, I felt this weight and this burden as I prepare for this series. Even this morning, um, as I prayed and as I enter into this first five verses in this book, I've, I've thought, I've, I've looked for a way to kind of skirt it. I've thought, oh, I don't know, Do, you know, we're about to go to two services after this one, maybe we don't need to, right? Maybe we just kind of go back to one, because I know a lot of us aren't going to like it. Like Malachi, a lot of us are going are gonna to hear this and then choose to, to find a way away from what God would teach us through his word. And yet this is my conviction, the hope, the foundation that I stand on in preaching, and I don't want to pretend like I don't have some nerves going in, is this, okay, that God tells us in his word in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that's the foundation, that's the hope that we stand on this morning. And again, I want to exhort and encourage us to come before God's word and trust that it is profitable, that though it can be painful, it's good. And again, let's connect ourselves with the audience from this book that I believe that we don't know God, we don't fully understand him, we choose, we try, hear me, 
to create God in our image, all right? God created us to bear his image, but we tend to want to turn the script and say, no, let's, I want to make the God that I feel pretty comfortable with. And as a result, we don't live like his people. But God reveals himself, as you saw up there earlier, God reveals himself by choosing to love his people. Okay, that's the big idea of where we are this morning. And so, again, throughout the whole series and this morning, I want to, again, just the last thing I want to do to set the stage for us is that you see there, there's this, um, when you heard earlier when the scripture was read, there's this kind of, God makes a declaration, then it's questioned by the people, then God answers it. It's called, or known as, and this is a word I just learned, by the way, so I don't want to pretend like, oh, in the Greek it means this. I just learned, but it's, there's a series of six disputations. Again, did anyone know that word before just now? Disputation. Well, you can see the root, root word is like a dispute or a debate. And it's, again, a series of de- debates or disputations. And this first one we get into this morning has to do with God's love. And it could be, again, understood as like a debate, but it's really not a debate because it's not two equal parties. It's God declaring something that's true and then God's people having a hardness and a distrust of him and basically saying, yeah, not really, or I I don't know about that. And then God basically puts him in check. Okay, so that's what happens. And that's what, again, we want to enter into this flow. So this first one here is that God begins the discourse by telling of his love for his people Israel. Okay, so begin here in Malachi chapter 1 verse 2. God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Okay, God begins the conversation. Let me just start this. This is always the case. All right, this is always how it goes. God is the initiator. Okay, in the very beginning, creation is God's idea. Light, time, the concept of such things. Life interaction, relationship, breath, everything is God's idea. God initiates. And in this context, right out of the gates, God's people are not pursuing him. They're not seeking God. I kind of often, and you'll see probably by the end of this sermon why, but I don't really like that, that phrase very much. Like, oh, seeker, we're, see- we're not seekers. All right, God is the initiator. We are, if anything we know from scripture, we are rebellious. We are fleers. We are hiders. We are runners away from. I know that's a few words, but with some hyphens, you can make it, right? We do that, and God pursues. God initiates. God reveals himself. And what does he say? He says, I have loved you. And then his people, though, challenge him and question him. Now, I want to quickly acknowledge it's largely because of their circumstances, in part. Okay, financial, political, all kinds of different things, and those are real issues. All right, I know that we in here, many of us are in different circumstances, and it leads us to question, to wonder, to ask, God, where are you? God, who are you? God, you say you love me, but I'm having a hard time reconciling that with where I'm at right now. Okay, we'll get into a moment. That's not really where they're coming from, but I acknowledge that is often part of the case. As I said, though, it's also the fact that we, because of sin, which in a sense, in, in a nutshell, is not God, is rebellion away from God, is, is being offended by God and his plans and his character and who he says he is. 
So there's a challenging and a questioning that most comes from that. It's referred to or understood as a fallen condition or a state of depravity. Okay, not wanting God, not trusting God. And and I just want to point out that, again, this isn't like what I said earlier. Some of us do have genuine concern. Hear me now, okay? Look at me, because I know I'm going to get some of you. I just saw someone earlier I know I've had these conversations with. You, You genuinely question you're struggling because of circumstance, because of difficulty, because of things like this. God, do you really love me? Hear me, that's okay. That's healthy. That's a good question. The Psalms are filled with such things. If you remember back in Exodus when we were just there, Moses at times asked that question. The people of God sometimes asked that question. It was coming from a good place. God, I hear these things in my head. I I, I want to believe them. I, I want to embrace them in my heart, but I'm struggling to reconcile that with my current circumstances. Okay, that's that's reality. That, that happens, and I want to encourage you in that. Do that. God invites us. He's big enough. But sometimes we let that bleed into or get used to, and we presume upon God. We make Jesus our homeboy and be really close and really easy to kind of in our minds just kind of joke around with and yell at and mess around with, and we, and, and we need to be called out and recognize and remember his glory. That he is the creator of heaven and earth. That he is almighty. That he is to be feared. So again, as we enter into this series, we're going to see each week a a smugness from the people of God. And I want to challenge us and exhort us to be weary of being in that same place ourselves. Okay, and again, let me just ask us individually and as a whole church, do you tend to stiffen your neck? That's a biblical image that's used a lot. Do you tend to harden your heart when God reveals himself to you, when God pokes on something that doesn't feel quite right, that doesn't feel good, that doesn't, again, fit with the God that you have created that's most comfortable for you? Do you stiffen? Do you deform? Do you reject? We're warned in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1 says, He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Okay, I I pray that we will come throughout this series, and even right now this morning, with humble hearts. That we will receive the reproving correction of God. And that we will take the warning that if we continue to walk in that posture... We're told that we will be broken beyond healing. We will eventually harden so much that God's words continue to become so offensive that we just leave altogether, that we just put earmuffs on altogether and just seek to tune him out. Let us be warned. I actually read through a proverb a day, right? That's kind of what I've been doing for a long time as a younger Pastor, have been exhort, have a longing to be wise and to grow in wisdom. And Proverbs is a book of book of wisdom. And one this morning, there are two spots there that in verse one and verse fourteen just give straight up in your face, like you are stupid if you hear correction and don't listen to it. Okay, so let, let us have that kind of serious warning about questioning God with an arrogance, with a posture that says, "I'm the judge. I'm the jury. I'll decide." I'll take some of this, but I'll throw all the rest out. 
And that's what these people come with that kind of posture. And I believe in God's, in God's, in God's answering them while he tells them of his love, it puts them in their place. And notice God says, I love you. And they say, how? And God could have said all kinds of different things, right? God could say, oh, I love you. Like, remember the exodus. Remember creation. Go back to the garden. Go back to the beautiful sunsets you've seen. Again, some of the things that probably, hear me now, a lot of us in our journals, in our worship songs, I'm not a musician, but I kind of wish I was. I actually owned a guitar once and tried to, you know, had a hemp necklace, 90s, late 90s, anyone, you know, tried to kind of press into that image a bit. It didn't work out very well. But, but we, we come up with stuff like that, and it usually is how we would want God to answer us. Oh, it's all these things. But, but notice as we get into it, God's answer is, he says, I have unconditionally chosen you. I have elected you. That's how God tells the people of his love. So let's get into that section now in this second part of Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, right? God says, what he says, how have you loved us? He answers, is not Esau Jacob's brother? No, I just asked you if you loved us. Why do you talk about Esau right now? He says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Okay, Jacob and Esau are, were, were twins. They were born together. Actually, Esau was the oldest child. And God says here, I love you, and you know I love you because I have loved Jacob. And uh, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And then he had 12 sons, became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Israel, who we're now reading many, many years, well over a thousand years after that event, the people of Israel, okay, these are the descendants of Jacob. And so now he's saying, you're the people of the one I loved and not of the one I hated. So we need to pause there and just acknowledge this seems kind of weird, right? God hated. How many of you thought you were coming to church this morning to hear about God hating, right? Probably not. It's not something, this is things that Okay, honest confession, we're tempted to be like, oh, let's skirt past that one. Let's, uh, you know, we don't want to talk about that. That's the Old Testament God. That's the God we don't acknowledge. Okay, I'm the, again, fluffy one, the one I'm more comfortable with. Uh, I don't know, you know, um, the one that I create in my own image, the one that churches want to, we want to protect and create in our own image to keep you coming, right, to keep growing. And just as I said, we're going to two services. We're excited about that. But it's not because, Lord help us, we pray that we are seeking to, we have some idea of numbers and places we're trying to go, right? We're, our, our calling is to be faithful to God's word. It, that's the best way to love our neighbor. It, amen? It's to present the God who has presented himself to us and then to say, Lord, by your grace, would you empower us to respond accordingly and to really leave the results to him? And so with that, we come before this, though, and we say, okay, what, what does it mean that God hated? It does seem weird. Well, in this context, loved refers to choice rather than affection. Okay, there are a lot of different Hebrew words, and in this context, God loving, it doesn't mean he felt really affectionate toward Jacob. Okay, again, if you've read 
about Jacob. It's crazy that God loves him. Jacob is a scoundrel. He constantly challenges God. He, he's, um, he tries to, to, to steal his older brother's place and eventually does, not just because God said he would, but because he's that kind of person, right? He's a trickster. He's a manipulator. He's, he's kind of mommy's f- favorite, actually. And, you know, I was probably, well, I don't know if I was mommy's favorite, but my older brothers accused me of it. And, um, and so I got noogies and wedgies and whatever else, you know, swirlies. I really got those, by the way, if anyone else, if you don't know what that is, we can talk about it. But um, all right, so, so that's kind of Jacob. And so when it says God loved him, it's not, oh, Jacob was such a lovable guy. No, if anything, it, it creates a bit more of awe and wonder at why God would choose him and would choose his descendants to be his people. And then when he says that he hated Esau, this is more of a rejection rather than animosity. Okay, again, if you read about Jacob and Esau, at first it sounds like, man, Esau's kind of a likable dude. He's a hunter. He's super hairy. I don't know, you know, maybe that means he's more manly. You know, he's, he's, he, he's a good cook. He, he creates this great stew, and, and Jacob can't even do that, so his mom has to do it for him in order to trick their dad, right, that it came from Esau. So he's, he's this, like, kind of a renaissance man. So it's not that God's like, oh, Esau, but, but he rejected him. And I'm just going to, rather than, like, hopefully we have these questions, why? Right, why? Why choose Jacob? Why reject Esau? Well, the best, the best interpretation of Scripture is what? Scripture. You're right. Yes. Scripture is the best way to understand Scripture. So Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, quotes this very verse, and then he goes on and explains it. In Romans chapter 9, he says in Romans chapter 9, verse 13, As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I I hated. Ever heard that before? Yes, right? We know where that's come from. Malachi chapter 1. So Paul goes on, though, to expound on that. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is that not a question that's welling up in our hearts? Let me just pause, and I didn't even plan on this, but we're not alone. That's a tendency, or again, a, a, a depraved um, inheritance that we have going all the way back to the garden. In the very beginning, when sin entered into the world, Satan tempted Adam and Eve and basically questioned what? God's character, God's justice. Are you sure you can trust him? Maybe he wants, he's afraid you're going to become more like him. Oh, okay, maybe. Maybe we should eat of this fruit. We can usurp God's plans the way God directed things to go. Maybe we can, we can be more like God, and we don't actually need to depend on God and relate with him in, in, in a place of, of, of image-bearing, but we can just kind of usurp him and get him out of the picture altogether. We can choose, and so that's, that's our tendency going all the way back. It's referred to as the fall, or again, the rebellion. And that's this question I think is welling up in our hearts even in this room this morning. God, are you, I don't know, that sounds mean, that sounds unjust. And Paul, right, says that. Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. 
So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Okay, again, emphasize that. Listen, just pause for a moment and recognize, okay, we're in this terrible state, this fallen position of, of broken away from God with like up a creek without a paddle, no hope, no way to get back. The, the Bible uses language of being dead in our trespasses. The wages of sin is death. Who has sinned? I'm glad you asked. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are hopeless and helpless outside of God's intervention, all right? We don't pursue God. God is the pursuer. And as we see here, God is the one who has mercy, not by our own human will or exertion, right? Verse 16 of Romans 9, but depends on God who has compassion. He's the one who has mercy. And then as we just saw in Exodus, if you were here with us for that series, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 18, so then he, meaning God, has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Is this unfair? Is it unjust? No. Okay, if we want just, we all get hell. We all get God's wrath. Who has sinned? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the wage of sin? What is the result of sin? The wages of sin is death. Okay, what is a wage? It's what you earn, right? If you had a job or have a job, you work, right? You get a wage, you put something in, you get something in return. We put in sin in return, we get death. And as you press in here in Malachi or back in Exodus when you look at Pharaoh, okay, we talked about this then, we're tempted to say, oh man, but didn't Pharaoh really want to be God's person? Wasn't he trying his hardest? No. He had that posture, that arrogant posture of like, who's God? I don't know him. I don't care about him. I'm not going to do what he says. And time and time again, God reveals himself and Pharaoh continues to stiffen his neck and to harden his heart. And I'm going to admit, I don't understand the mystery because I think that's all of our posture outside of God's intervention, right? But we can't settle on or just take the easy route and think it's because like God's just sitting there being so mean and like, oh, he doesn't do it. No, we all have gone astray, each one to his own way. Outside of God's intervention, we all have hardened hearts and stiffened necks. None of us is seeking God. None of us is trying our hardest, trying to do the best we can. And man, if God would just kind of finally respond to us, he's sitting there with his back turned like a, you know, spoiled brat, arms folded, and we're tapping on his shoulder and maybe he'll turn around. That's not the picture we have in the scriptures. Okay, again, the picture we have of Pharaoh, of Esau, is continuing to dig down deeper and deeper into thanks but no thanks, God. I don't want to be your image bearer. I want to be God. I want to replace you. I want to, I want to, re, I want to do what I want to do. I want it my way. I want my identity and my purpose to come from who I say I am and what I can fabricate with my own hands. I want all the glory, all the praise. I want to control everything about my life. 
That's where we come naturally to God. And yet, God loves. So I want to recognize here the result that comes about from this. Because there's been this kind of tendency to assume, oh, that's going to make you arrogant. That's going to make you proud, right? Calvinism, this this kind of overarching theology that this this doctrine of election, of of God electing Jacob and rejecting Esau, um, it often the and and rightly so the 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 fear is that oh that leads to arrogance that leads to pride, and the greatest um, oxymoron is a pr- proud Calvinist, right or someone everything I just said everything we've just walked through this morning should lead to deep seated genuine humility. But sadly, historically, that has often not been the case. And we spent that a while talking about that when we did the Hard Conversation series and we talked about Calvinism. And I spent a lot of time, right, um, kind of confessing, if you will, on behalf of the Reformed tradition. And I'm not going to get into all of that, but, you know, things like slavery and apartheid and misogyny and a lot of things that, that, that have, have fallen under that. Okay, but still, at the same time, I want to acknowledge that that hasn't always been the case, that historically there are people, and I believe Paul, I believe biblically, this doctrine of election is where we stand as a church because we believe it's what God has communicated about himself. When we're asked, God, how have you loved us? His answer is, I've chosen you. Okay, that, that's election, that's Calvinism, that's Reformed theology, and hopefully you hear right now from me, and you hopefully you experience through our time in worship, that what should flow when we're rightly cut to the heart by God's revelation of himself to us, him softening our hearts, not us seeking him, pursuing him, chasing him down, finding God, is God, but for your intervention, so would I be. Okay, for those of us that are more informed and, oh, I'm Reformed, I'm Calvinist, I know this, I, went to, I know all the terms, I know, you know, I use the term, you know, regenerate and reprobate and all these, all the right terms and, you know, all these things. Um, hopefully that is quickly followed by an actual, real, genuine, heartfelt understanding that for reasons I don't understand, God has chosen to step in and to soften my heart, to change my life, to open my eyes, to reveal himself to me in such a way, irresistible grace, to show his undeserved favor in such a way that I can do none other but respond with worship and surrender. What would it look like for us as a church to be full of people that have that kind of posture? As I went back in the very beginning, right, I said, Do you and I live like people who are loved by God? What would it look like to live like a people who are loved by God in this way? But it's a struggle for us. And let me share a quote with you I read from an interview by a um, now deceased um, pastor and theologian, R.C. Sproul. He says, people us, we, question God's fairness in the doctrine of election because they have settled for too low a view of God. If you understand who you are 
and you understand who God is, then you understand that your only hope under heaven is for the sovereign grace of God to save you. Okay, again, that leads to humility. That leads to heart-filled worship. God, but for your intervention, I, I can't imagine where I would be. It leads to, hear me, because this is another kind of, kind of answer to this, is, oh, but then you're not going to actually evangelize. You're not actually going to share your faith because if God's sovereign and he's doing kind of duck, duck, damn, you know, zapping who's saved and who's not, then I didn't coin that phrase, by the way. Um, if he's just doing that, then, then you know, then, then, then why even participate? It's no. Again, if, it, if we genuinely grasp that, and you understand, in my case, my older brother and I have been talking about this, the way God intervened in our family, we, I don't have time to go into it, but we had a faithful um, missionary from like Germany go and, and share his faith to the nations and move here to, to the U.S. And then um, down the line, um, still pastors, because it was handed down like a trade kind of it back then um and, and it became really unfaithful and one of the pastors was really a very harsh and ungodly man and then we kind of our family line kind of kept that inheritance for a while and then seemingly not gonna change outside of God's intervention and all kinds of crazy stories of God intervening and, 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 and his love and his grace coming crashing into our family. That, that compels me to want to share my faith. It, it also frees from any of the burden and the weight to think, oh, well, I've got to figure it out. I've got to know every right illustration. I've got, to, I've got to have all the best things. It makes me want to strive to do that better, to represent God and his grace and his good news, the gospel better. I want to be a more sharpened tool, a more effective witness, but there's also such freedom. I could share stories with you of after an hour of talking with someone, I said, looked at her in the eye, and what if God looked at you and said, Abby, I receive you into my presence? And she said, you mean Leanne? <laughs> and I, oh man, shoot, my bad, sorry. Like we had had this incredible conversation and I just fumbled it, right? Not, and I, you can't blame the stutter on that one. Like his spirit took over, I wasn't stuttering, I was speaking in tongues, it was flowing. And I still just botched it, but God works. All right, again, there's such a freedom in God's sovereign love. And now let me share a couple of things that I heard from another pastor where he, he helps break down God's love, right? God reveals himself to his people through his unconditional, electing, choosing, pursuing love. And these are some things about God's love. God's love is electing, unconditional, and sovereign. God's love is electing. Why is that? That seems counterintuitive. Because he chooses. Because he chose you, God's love is electing. God's love is unconditional because you and I did nothing to deserve it. Can you and I, the only thing we bring to the relationship is sin. And because of that, we know God's love is unconditional. God's love is sovereign. He's completely in charge and under no compulsion or ob obligation. 
God is not, again, an unwilling, kind of frustrated, spoiled neighbor kid. I'm sure someone comes to mind for all of us, right? That's like, all right, fine, I'll play with you because, you know, whatever. I'll let you play with my toys because you did such and such. No, God is not under compulsion. He's sovereign. He is in absolute authoritative control. And hopefully that informs the significance of his love poured out on you and me and us. So as I close, let me share a few passages. You bring them up here. Just a few. Um, no, I'm not going to read all of them. I actually was going to, and I went, but I'm like, okay, that's too much. It's, not, it's God's word, okay, so it's not too much. But let me read a few of them, and if you're taking notes, you can take a picture or take them down, they'll keep them up there. And let me just walk through a few. And you don't, let me even encourage you, don't try to flip and turn with all of them. Um, just hear, hear some of God's word revealing the good news of his unconditional pursuing love. From John chapter 3, and Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, how many of you played a hand in your own birth? None. Okay, and I could share more, but being born again is a work of God. Okay, we are dead Dead people don't become born through their own effort, okay? Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Down in um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God is the initiator. We bring death and sin God brings life. In Titus chapter 3, in uh, verse, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. Whose mercy? God's mercy. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Okay, he does the work. In 1 John chapter 4, down in verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. It's the replacement for our sins. I'll, I'll read two more. Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And then this last one I'll read down in Acts chapter 13. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Let me read Malachi chapter 1 verse 5 and connect it to that last passage in Acts. And this is what God says to his people. Your eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. You might not understand it right now. There might be a mystery. John Calvin refers to God's sovereign electing love as a beautiful mystery. This might be a struggle 
But the day is coming when you will see God's love beyond the borders of Israel. In that passage in Acts I just read, this was the fulfillment of that, process, or of that promise, the beginning of God calling the nations to be his people, those whom he appointed. We look ahead to the day in Revelation, we see a day when every tribe, tongue, and nation will come around the, 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 the throne, the Lamb of God, and say, say, glory, glory is the Lamb who was slain the one who takes away the sins of the world. So again, I want us to close in answering the question or considering the question. What would it look like for you to live like you are loved by God in the way that he has revealed himself? We're called to love our neighbor. Again, this is connecting the dots here. This isn't somewhere out there far off theology. What would it look like to understand God's unconditional, undeserved, pursuing, electing love so much that you're now compelled to love your neighbor because you understand that God is loving you in such a way that you and I do not deserve and God is loving someone else through you. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're hearing this for the first time, again, I want to ask you the question, what would it look like for you to live as though you are loved by God, you are pursued by God. The main thing I want you to hear this morning is I believe God is revealing himself to you by the simple fact that you're here. Right? We want to get caught up in, well, I don't, how do I know if God's pursuing me, if God's choosing me, if God's electing me? That's not our, our job. It's not my job. It's not your job. Okay, what we're called to do is consider and respond to the good news that God is revealing to us. And this morning, he is revealing that he loves you and that he's pursuing you. And for all of us in here this morning, let's respond and consider what it looks like for our life to be shaped by the unconditional, electing, pursuing love of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for knowing what we need, Lord, for revealing yourself to us, even sometimes in ways that we wouldn't choose on our own, and yet you're good, you're faithful. Lord, I, I pray that you would lead us individually and as a whole church now to respond appropriately, to respond in faith, in worship, in humility, in gratitude for your undeserved love poured out on us. In Jesus' name, amen.